With regards to modern comic book adaptations, it seems as if all most audiences are getting is a never-ending expanding universe of Marvel vs. DC lore. But they're not. Whether audiences are aware of it or not, film adaptations of comic books and graphic novels that are not of the superhero persuasion do grace film viewers from time to time. Examples of these include films such as A History of Violence, American Splendor, Road to Perdition, and even massive box office successes like Men in Black. It's clear that the major studios have found a filmmaking formula that works for the time being. Keep expanding the superhero cinematic universes, and the money will keep coming. Or will it? Clearly, interest in comic books, graphic novels, and other forms of literature seem to be at its most prominent in the mainstream. But will an oversaturation of just one genre within the entire scope of comics eventually run its course with audiences? And if so, will these films dealing with non-superheroes be able to engage and affect audiences in the same way? So, we have to ask ourselves, can the comic book movie survive without superheroes? All right, this week we're changing the format up just a little bit, and we're actually going to have more of a group discussion, this time between me and uh, the now co-host, essentially, Mitch. Mitch, say hi. Hi, everybody. This is Mitchell Kakalka. I'm a news editor at Central Michigan Life, and I know a little bit about comics and a little bit, bit, little bit about movies, and so that's why I'm here today. So the five films that we're going to be talking about that deal with, uh, you know, they're comic book adaptations, but they're not superhero comics, are mm-hmm. uh, American Splendor. Men in Black, Ghost World, Dread, 300, and A History of Violence. So mm-hmm. first, let's talk about American Splendor. Um, have you ever seen American Splendor? I have. I just saw it for the first time last week. Now, are you a fan of Harvey P. Carr's comics? I'm not overly familiar, as um, I, I kind of hope to be. But, yeah, I'm, I, ca- I came in knowing a little bit about Harvey Picard is something of a folk hero. Yeah, around. definitely. He's a very, very interesting, like blue collar celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen his appearances on Letterman? I haven't. No. There, you need to watch those <laughs> as soon as possible. They're fantastic. He just lashes out at everybody. It's great. But um, American Splendor, the film, which is based off of loosely the American Splendor comic series, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a biopic of Harvey's life. Um. It takes the source material in American Splendor, but it doesn't just focus on that. It's it's kind of an adaptation, but it's it's like 50-50 adaptation of the source mm-hmm. material and then 50% biopic. Which is fair because that's kind of how the comic itself is formatted. Yeah. I believe um, Harvey Picar said in an interview um, about the American Splendor comic book series that it's meant to be written as an autobiograph- autobiography written as it's happening. Right. And so um, – very, very unorthodox as far as comics, stories. Yeah, it's very slice go. of life. Slice of life. Because in, in the movie, there's a scene where he's looking outside the window and there's a couple men. They're like moving furniture yeah, out of the apartment. They're moving a mattress and they're like talking about yeah. relationships and like everyday stuff like that. Yeah, they're talking about women or something. And mm-hmm. Harvey hears their conversation, thinks it's funny. And then it cuts immediate to, immediately to like that's the cover of the next issue mm-hmm. yeah. is their conversation and they, and they kind of cross over a lot um between um kind of like the metafictional creation of the comic and the depiction of harvey picard's life um harvey picard in this movie played by the great paul giamani yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah he does a great job mm-hmm. a really like 
it's it's funny if you watch interviews of Harvey and then watch the movie, mm-hmm. how good Paul Giamatti did. It's it's, it's scary how, well, how good. Well, there did. are interviews of Harvey Picard within the yeah, movie. Yeah, that's There's right. Kind of, I forgot about it's that. kind of a synecdoche New York esque like yeah, framing the Yeah, of having the Harvey Picard, not only Harvey Picard, but also the everyday people in his life who are um, that he based the, these characters off of within the comic, and he has them. There's kind of, like I said, like kind of like a framing device of them filming the movie with Harvey Picar overlooking it, but also and switching that back and forth between the actors, Paul, including Paul Giamatti, um, dramatizing his life. Right. Mm-hmm. And like this movie wasn't a huge success when it came out, but it, yeah. it has kind of generated a cult following since yeah. then with, you know, obviously Picar's fan base mm-hmm. and just you know, people that have seen the movie, mm-hmm. regardless. It's very well received. Like a lot of when, oh yeah, towards the turn of um, 2010, it was I. That's why I first heard of it because it was on a lot of um, top 10 films of the decades lists. Right. So, and you'll find that a lot about a lot, a couple of the films uh, that we're going to be talking today um, became more cult classics uh, in lieu of more blockbuster successes. Right, and that's a little bit of like the. The problem going forward, because it's clear that the comic book films based off, you know, Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. Batman and Superman, you yeah, know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are really, really financially successful films. Mm-hmm. You know, almost like I haven't heard of a single one of these films flopping like mm-hmm. of, of, of the recent wave, like 2012 or so onward with all the DC and Marvel films. Yeah. They all mm-hmm. seem to be at least financial successes. Mm-hmm. But. With some of the films on this list, that doesn't you know, apply to all of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them, they weren't flops, but they didn't really generate you know, yeah. as much profit as possible. So I'm wondering if audiences get tired of strictly just superhero content, if they're going to find films like American Splendor to be mm-hmm. worth you know, the ticket price. Yeah. And I, I personally think American Splendor is because yeah, I definitely. think – it's enough of a conventional story to get most audiences engaged. Mm-hmm. And there's that whole other aspect of, you know, the comic culture. Yeah. That even if just an outsider looking in can get engaged with. And I think that's mm-hmm. what the film does really well. It, it doesn't just decide to be a film about the comic series or Harvey P. Carr. It tries to just mesh everything together, mm-hmm. kind of how the comic was. Well, it shows just how... What can happen when you get good filmmakers behind um, an idea like this? I believe right. um, the, the directors of this movie were Sherry Berman and Robert Polshini, yeah. who are both um, document documentarian filmmakers. Yeah, and you can tell by how the film is, mm-hmm. um, how it cuts to those interview segments. Interview segments, and it, it mixes interviews with dramatizations and also very highly stylized, um, kind of like moving picture uh, we need, yeah, we yeah. Need, title drop. Um, kind of like animated renderings of the comic panels themselves. Yeah. I I love the parts where uh Paul Giamatti is out of character, mm-hmm. watching the actual Harvey Pekar be interviewed and kind of like chuckling mm-hmm. at just how folksy is. <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. But so American Splendor, I think we can both agree, mm-hmm. is a good example of a non superhero movie done correctly. Yes. So next on the list, next on the list, we're I, gonna, yeah, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. we're going to be talking about the 
2012 film Dread, directed by Pete Travis, based off of um, the comic book character Judge Dread, who was first appeared in the British weekly comic um, anthology series uh, 2000 AD, created by, um, originally written, well, well, at least Judge Judge Dread was by the writer John Wagner. Okay. And um, yeah, so a bit about Judge Dread. This isn't the first time he's been adapted to the film. He was actually, there was a Judge Dredd movie in the mid to late 90s starring Sylvester Stallone yeah, as a title character. Yeah, I forgot about that. A lot of people in the world would like to forget about <laughs> the original Judge Dredd movie. But, so yeah, um, Judge Dredd, he was kind of meant to be um, a bit of, kind of like a, the antithesis of uh Superman or Captain America. So more of an figure. anti-hero type thing. Well, kind of. He's the entire because, like I said, Judge Dredd was written by British people. It was a British magazine, okay. and it was kind of a very. It's it was a parody of the kind of like nationalist superhero that was oh, fa- okay. that was popular in in American comics. Like the most obvious example being Captain America. Right. This is kind. Judge Dredd was kind of. Very unambiguously fascist in all of his, um, in the way he fights crime, in right. the way he talks, and everything about him was very, very like easily recognizable satire on um, this idea of like of this like super American, like um, nationalism, Superman. pride, heritage, national pride again, like stuff. fascism, like very black and white morality so a lot of kind um, of political undertones there's a lot it. of yeah a lot now of does it deal with that in the film because i haven't <clears throat> seen the the film dread i haven't seen it not quite um it's not not quite political it, it does kind of um well the, the movie judge dread in this movie is played by carl urban this was about three years after um the first of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies came out, which was oh, okay. uh, which is kind of how Carl Urban found his way into the mainstream when he played. Um, I'm not much of a Star Trek fan, so I, I don't know if I'm like getting the name right. It's, oh, it was uh, oh my guy McCoy. <laughs> I think he played McCoy. I have no idea. I've never seen a single episode of Star Trek. If Jordan Harmony is listening to this, she's going <sighs> to destroy me but yeah he plays bones mccoy whatever whatever his name is the one that's not spock and not kirk oh okay i messed yeah. this up anyway yeah he's he kind of um he was a bit he was uh he had some bit parts and moderately successful action movies before then but this was star trek was his kind of like taking off point and and um jed dread was kind of like i don't really know how to describe it, it was it's probably going to be the movie that a lot of people remember him by, in in lieu of like his now famous portrayal as of um Bones Bon Boney McCoy, not Spock in Star Trek. Um, yeah, his and which is especially like kind of unique because, as um people who know about the Judge Judd character know, he never removes his helmet, and that's reflected in this movie, which. In its own right, kind of puts it a couple leagues above the original Sylvester Stallone movie because he removes his helmet all the time, and this is a Sylvester which is Stallone totally movie, which is against the character. Which is against the character, but you can also kind of tell because it was this was this was Stallone at kind of the peak of his narcissism, 
Like oh, he would okay. not have. He, I mean, he wouldn't have started in the film if you couldn't like show his show his face. I'm doing air quotes. Beautiful face <laughs> on the screen. And so yeah, it's 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 impressive that Carl Urban like took, which is a lot of people have um, said. It's impressive that Carl Urban kind of like took this role. It's like the entire movie is um, he's just hidden behind this mask with only his um, jawline showing and. It seems like, just based on how you're describing it, it seems like it kind of has kind of superhero-esque qualities. He does kind of strike me as like a really um, charismatic type figure. You He's know? the hero of his own story. Okay. It's, he has, um, and kind of um, the crux of this movie is he has a sidekick played by Olivia Thurlby, who's kind of um, plays the rookie cop who's who Dredd is kind of taken under his wing, I guess. Now we should just get into the actual plot of the movie. Judge Dredd and like the entire, like this is all of the Judge Dredd mythos takes place in this far, well, I can't really say it's far, it's 2000 AD when it was first written, but this far, kind of far flung dystopian future mm-hmm. of the world of 2000 AD, um, where the I think like half the country is taken over by this just this metropolis called um, Mega City One, which just like spreads the entire span to like the entire eastern coast, and which and you can um as you'd imagine there is when like this entire basically like country is one big city there is it requires a very um heavy-handed approach to law law enforcement cuz okay. there's just crime everywhere like the like the majority of the city is just slums and fill, um filled with petty crimes and um many parts of the city are completely run by criminals so tonally it seems dark it's it's definitely a very dark movie so that kind of seems to be a little bit of a trend in mm-hmm. a couple of the films that we're going to be talking about yeah. today. Um, it seems like a lot of these comics that aren't focused on, you know, superheroes and mm-hmm. superhero isms, they tend to really be focusing on humanity in some way or another. Yeah. You know, like with American Splendor, it's focusing on the everyman, the kind of mm-hmm. everyday experience. With Dread, it seems to be focusing on these kinds of um, human concepts of like identity and mm-hmm. pride and you know your your nationality and yeah, things like that. In a way, it's kind of a more realistic approach to the superhero genre. Yeah, because Dread, in like his own kind of way, Dread is a superhero. He is um, this Superman esque figure of um, uh, just like power. And I mean, he doesn't have literal powers. He's um, just very heavily armed. He's right. and he's part of this law. This the law enforcement agency in Mega City One is revolves around these things called street judges, who are um, heavily equipped, um, have, very highly trained, very morally black and white people who um, take and their job is to kind of act as judge, jury, and ex- executioner. Um, when it comes to law enforcement, and so when they'll just the police department, the police department, in, in in as much as like a police department exists in this world, will just send these judges after like cr- criminals and 
with kind of with the expectation that it'll end in bloodshed. Kind of a commentary on like a crooked justice system. Crooked justice and kind of, again, like very fascistic in nature with right. um, the in- the entire kind of um, everything about the Judge Dredd character revolves around like his sense of power and authority and just like the sh- like sheer like force of his will. So compared to the other films that we're going to be talking about, um, this seems a bit more fantastical than a couple of the others. Yeah, it's it's very much it's, it's a sci-fi movie. Yeah, yeah, it's not not heavy heavy sci-fi. It's of the kind of sci-fi that you can, in a way, see it happening in the far future. There's no time it doesn't travel. Suspend no, your your belief. Yeah, there's no. It's just like um, dystopian, slightly advanced weapons. Right, and. So we keep getting away from it. the actual plot <laughs> of the movie. It's a very simple plot, actually. Um, this drug lord, played by Lena Headey before she was Cersei in Game of Thrones, um, by the name of Mama, has kind of taken over this like hundred, like about like a hundred story esque like tenement building, and um, which she uses as headquarters to produce like this drug called Slow Mo, which. As I would say, it, slow-mo. And, and it's actually, its effects are depicted like pretty impressively um, throughout the movie. It just it slows down your perception of time. And um, so, yeah, she's creating this drug in this tenement building. And the it's, it's Dredd's mission to take this Dredd along with his um, new, the new rookie to take Mama down. Okay. And they do. Spoiler and they alert. do. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we have American Splendor on one end, mm-hmm. and now we have Dread on another. Yeah. So these, these, um, okay. Here's an awkward blip. Make sure that you're cutting out whatever I'm doing right now. Um, I had a train of thought, like a perfect transition, <laughs> and now I need to grapple that right back. Oh yeah. So do you know how Dread like fared box office wise? Yeah, actually I just looked this up. Um its budget was between thirty and forty five million dollars. Okay. And in the box office it got forty one. So it kinda like broke even. Almost broke even, depend depending on like what estimates you're looking at, broke even. It's been up in the air ever since um the movie came out, whether or not it's gonna warn a sequel. Cause um a lot of people like this movie. Like it was, it, like again, like most of these movies, it kind of became like a cult classic. Right. Um, a lot of people liked it. Very well received in the in by critics and by fans, but it's not really known whether or not it's going to be um, continued. When and the movie ends on a note that it doesn't really need to be continued. Like it obviously couldn't. It's not like it's. It's not like um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Uh, it's not the kind of a movie that will that that will overstay its welcome. Overstay its welcome, but also like a lot of movies that you get with, um, especially when they're adapted by, by um, they're adapted from uh, popular franchises and properties. The filmmakers seem to think it's a given that they're going to be expanded into this um, 
cinematic universe and that they set up um set up future films right like a good example the most recent adaptation of fantastic four ends with the filmmakers basically saying like oh we'll we'll, we'll be coming back like this isn't the end of our, their adventures it's it's definitely the end of their their adventures oh, in yeah, the case that, of fantastic 4 that movie was but atrocious. so anyway yeah dread ends on a way that could very very easily be continued on additional stories but it also very much stands on its own so speaking of films that continue on uh another film i guess trilogy at this point uh or actually not trilogy series well, Men in Black. Men in Black, yeah. That's... I, I didn't know this was based off of a comic book series until just a few days ago. Yeah, Men in Black was one. It's similar to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which kind of got popular around the same time esque. Um, which a lo- both are series that not very many people know were originally um, based off of comics. In Men in Black's case, um, the original uh, comic book series, The Men in Black, written by, um, let me think, Lowell Cunningham in 1990, was um, a very sh- short-lived um, black and white kind of like pulpy sci-fi comic. Yeah. Um, it was originally published by Arcel Comics, which was later bought by Malibu Comics, which was later bought by Marvel Comics. And so Marvel is kind of... Hold, holding the rights hostage in their own way. Um, that's one movie that, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it, like, gets a, a reboot of oh, sorts. Oh, I know. I know it's coming. If Marvel has their hands on it, it's going to get rebooted in, like, the next few years. I don't know if Marvel has the film rights, but it's they're out there somewhere, and, like, I know some studio exec is eyeing them very closely. But back to what you're talking about. Yeah, it was original. Man Black was originally a comic, Um very, the core premise is more or less the same as what was adapted to screen. It's about two agents, um, a can't remember if it's, um, an older agent by the name of Kay who kind of takes this young man um, who will later be known as Agent J under his wing and kind of introduces him to this clandestine world of the supernatural um, as... And they kind of work as these, um, this shadowy, oh, shadowy government and entity that like watches over um, this world uh, that kind of exists parallel to the normal world, full of the supernatural. Right. And that's kind of where the original source material, comic book, and the movie differ. Is that the original comic is quite dark. Um, not like how the movie came out. Not the yeah. movie came out. Not, not like too dark, but it's if they were to adapt um, the original comic like exactly as it is on the page to the screen, it'd be very much closer in tone to HBO's True Detective than it would be um, the Men in Black films that we got. They very much probably because um, of Will Smith's presence. Like they, they very much made a more. Um, Mainstream friendly, family friendly. They much. kind of branded it around Will Smith in a lot of yeah, ways. I mean, which even is, like the mm-hmm. didn't he have a, like a Men in Black song or something? There, yeah, they came he out. He used to release songs with every mm-hmm. film back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It was so great. He was still is kind of like Wild, Wild, Wild West. Wild Wild West. So like he was a very marketable figure. So I mean, and like they, it's kind of became in a way like 
one of his most recognizable properties. Um, I think it, Men in it Black. raises a pretty interesting point how Men in Black comes from source material that most people probably aren't mm-hmm. too familiar with. But it proved to studios that this can be really financially um, yeah. mm-hmm. profitable for them, you know, mm-hmm. really positive. And, it, you know, Will Smith is a very charismatic character. Oh, you know, he, we can argue all day if he's a good actor. I, I think he's a good actor I think for, for what I he think is. And he, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's charismatic characters in every medium of, of literature, especially in comic books. Mm-hmm. You're going to find a lot of charismatic protagonists and antagonists and supporting characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have this bastion of source material that, for the most part, is being ignored because the hot thing right now is superheroes. Mm-hmm. The hot thing right yeah. now. I mean, I'm sure, uh, like Preacher, Pre- Preacher, Preacher is, yeah. is a show that's got got released, and that's based off of a comic series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that like there are no adaptations other than superheroes, mm-hmm. but the ones that are getting big theatrical releases, lots of money pumped in, lots of money being turned over. Are superhero movies and a lot of that I think is simply just kind of brand recognition. So not so much as that like only superhero films are profitable, but Batman movies are definitely profitable. Yeah, Spider Man movies, yeah, exactly. Superman movies. It's easy to invest into something that's already really well branded because mm-hmm. it will kind of just make money itself. Yeah. Whereas if I you know invest money into some obscure comic to make into a movie, most people will be like, well, well like what is this? Mm-hmm. Like why should I pay money to go see that? Yeah. But I think that'll change because as the DC and Marvel universes are kind of expanding more into more obscure characters, people are going to check out those more obscure characters Mm -hmm. and form connections with those characters. Like there's a movie for Ant-Man. Ant-Man. Was anyone that passionate about Ant-Man beforehand? Not really. Edgar Edgar Wright was very passionate about Ant-Man. Like he was originally attached to the movie, but I think – the best example of what you're talking about is Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, yeah. I like to think I'm pretty knowledgeable about comics. I hang around a lot of people who are very knowledgeable co- about comics. Nobody even knew what the Guardians of the Galaxy were right. before the movie came out. Like, they was, if you, I think a lot of people knew knew that they were a thing. Like, they they'd read an issue of X Men where they mentioned, "Oh, this this happened in issue thirty four of Guardians of the Galaxy last week." But um, they were always just kind of like a name, and not not even remotely like a brand. Yeah, as much as Avengers, X Men, Justice League are. Right. But with Marvel and Disney money behind it, like it's now. Not only like a very profitable film um, franchise, but Marvel has kind of brought back Guardians of, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in their actual comics. Like, there's a couple co- Guardians of the Galaxies like comic book series going on right now. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy has kind of cemented itself in pop culture, and I think yeah. that that would really be possible for non superhero titles mm-hmm. because. Um, now seems to be the best time more than ever. Yeah, it's, and we kind of have good timing like today because um, Kingsman, the se- the sequel to Kingsman, the Secret yes. Service just came out, which is the original Kingsman was based off of um, a kind of a graphic novel yeah, of, yeah. Um, by Mark Millar, mm-hmm. which not very many people knew about. But the, now, the first Kingsman movie was actually pretty okay. Yeah. Um, kind of satirical, kind of over the top. Mm-hmm. It, and it kind of um, it that was that was the point of the original comic, but it also was um, equally um, 
kind of like artistic license that the director Matthew Vaughn um, took and kind of made it um, this again like kind of like satire on like spy movies right. in a year where like a lot of spy movies are coming out. Mm-hmm. I think if I remember right, yeah, um, Kingsman came out the same year as Spectre, like like the. A film that you could argue it's like directly parodying. Yeah, yeah. There, it's, it's really funny. It's it is entertaining to think about. I think there were other like spy movies that year. I can't I'm not I can't think of at the moment. But so yeah. while while we're kind of making that connection between like the DC cinematic universe, Marvel, and all that, and mm-hmm. these non superhero titles, let's talk about three hundred. Now that that's directed by yeah. Zack Snyder. Zack correct? Snyder, who went on to direct. Um, uh, uh, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, the adaptation of Alan Moore's Watchmen. Yeah, kind of after after three hundred, he kind of made his name as one of the, um, in a way, kind of like an auteur comic book director. I'm gonna have to disagree with that use of auteur, but I I could tell you know, like hey, it's, the, it's the, the look on your it's face fine. when I said auteur, I could tell like <laughs> hell is about to come. But. All right, Let, let's say he's a polarizing director. He's I think he, he he's unique and polarizing. He, like that's yeah, like I agree with you. But the, how he kind of um that was kind of his taking off point. Like I think he had only done like the Dawn of the Dead remake in mm-hmm. 2004 before that and 300 was just a phenomenon when it came out in 2007 yeah. Yeah. based off of a comic book um from 1998 by an equal not no, not equally much, much more polarizing um, figure in the comic book industry, Frank Miller, oh, who okay. uh, we have to do a podcast on Frank Miller at some point. <laughs> he's he's just a character, him. Mm-hmm. I love you, Frank. Um, now, 300, mm-hmm. I think, is another example of this thing working and why... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure why a lot of studios don't seem to be pumping money into these non-superhero ideas because 300, mm-hmm. huge financial success. Absolutely. Uh, not, I don't maybe not really a critical success at all, but no. definitely, definitely a audience success. It's a film that got a lot of people talking, mm-hmm. a lot of press, a lot of pop culture significance to it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it was parodied, you know, dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of times by tons of you know, media outlets, but it was really a film that got a lot of people's attention. And mm-hmm. I don't think most people were aware that that was based off of a comic. Yeah, which is kind of surprising because it very much, as soon as you like realize it's based off comic, it's very much is an adaptation of the comic style to the yeah. till the to the silver screen. Um, more so than like any other movie I can really think of that that's like directly tried to emulate the experience of reading a comic, um, and putting yeah, it on yeah. so like let, film. Let, let, let me ask you that question, because when we're talking about superhero films, one of the biggest complaints that people have is, oh, it differed from the source material. Mm-hmm. You know, it veered away. But this the. You know, superhero comic movies that I really like a lot are the mm-hmm. ones that I feel have a kind of comic book style to them. Okay. Like uh, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, yes, the yeah. Tim Burton Batmans. Mm-hmm. They kind of have this inherent silliness to them, but they're uh-huh. also you know really dramatic and you can engage with mm-hmm. them. And they're both directed by fantastic directors, Tim yeah. Burton, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. 
But um, would you feel like, you know, a film like A History of Violence that we're going to talk about in a little bit, mm-hmm. do you feel like that film would need to be dependent on the way that the comic was formatted and how it was framed? Do you think that these films would have to be told in a comic style? Or do you think that they should just abandon that altogether for more kind of traditional dramatic tendencies? Well, comic style in itself is kind of a fickle um, idea. Um, A a little bit off, I don't know if I'd say off topic, but kind of a tangent. Um, People have pointed out a lot, um, like why are like anime series, like which are direct adaptations of manga, like why why are there so many of those, but there's not very many, like, serialized like t- tv adaptations of say like spider-man or fantastic four like they each have their own cartoons and stuff mm-hmm. like that but and what people have pointed out is that the japanese style which is um which anime is based off of lends itself very very um very well to film adaptations like the way that's everything's written the way it's drawn um pacing and if you read if you um read manga it let it, the pacing of um, the dialogue, the character movement, lends itself to a kind of um, a style which yeah. which um, <clears throat> is very easy to adapt to film. Whereas um, like fights in anime usually aren't full of like character monologues. Do you think that um, these comic ad- adaptations? should rely more on a traditional dramatic structure or should try to engage a comic style more Mm -hmm. like as far as like film Mm -hmm. filmmaking goes the cinematography Mm -hmm. and editing and stuff like Mm -hmm. that do you think it would be better for them to engage with the comic stuff or more of a traditional drama well it's always going to be um a question of like how well the comics, the, the the individual comic style is gonna um, transfer the film. Which, um, in the cases of um, su- tra- tra- traditional superhero comics like Spider Man and um, Batman, you see a lot of film adaptations don't adapt the stories so much as they adapt the characters, right? And um, kind of build their own. the the film The films will. Um, kind of exist in their in their own like in a story sense with the general um ad- adapting the general uh feel of the character like the, in com- in superhero comics like the character is what guides the story like the yeah. everything is based around like how the character their morals their goals their motivations and everything and the story just kind of takes um a backseat um to characterization um in examples like 300 and like a history of violence um the the story can can we pause for a second i'm trying to think you're good um thank god it's not live yeah Yeah. (laughs) um so like like i was saying um superhero comics kind of people have pointed this out, take a lot of inspiration from um, literature more so than they do film. Yeah. Like it's the um, the walls of text, like the word bubbles are how the story is told. Right. Um, and the art is kind of how, how these story beats are connected. Whereas um, in a more um, 
I guess, Eastern style, um, popular with like manga, um, which is what um, Frank Miller tried to emulate, the um, writer-artist of uh, 300 along of Sin City. He's... He, and he's like said this a lot of times. He he's, takes equally from Western comics, and Eastern comics, and Eastern comics. Um, it's the style and like the art which drives um, the narrative. Right. Um, there to um, anybody who's read manga will probably not so much watch anime, but manga will know. There's less dialogue, more action, more um, and not just like action action in the sense of like explosions and like fighting, but action in um. This movie character, plot character movement, yeah, yeah, and so um, so yes, kind of going back, um, that's kind of the difference between a movie like Three Hundred and a movie like, um, Spider Man Homecoming. Spider Man Homecoming is a filmmaker adapting the character of um, Spider Man to a film a film plot structure. Whereas um, 300 is has a very emulatable, very visual style the comic book does that lends itself to um, film stylization. So with regards to DC, one thing that DC does is they like indulging in realism. They, mm-hmm. they like having their films be kind of dark, at least right now. They like mm-hmm. having them be kind of dark, gritty, mm-hmm. somewhat realistic. Yeah. There's a lot of dark, gritty graphic novels out there. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I think that that uh, pocket of media would be perfect to exploit to try to um, create a lot of film adaptations and just get more people interested in the medium of comics. And I think that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really kind of gritty, realistic graphic novels uh, would be like the next logical step for, you know, DC, Marvel, whatever Mm -hmm. to take. But, um, Moving on, I think the next film that we want to talk about is Ghost World. I believe that's next um, on our list. I think the way you just set it up, we might want to talk about History of Violence okay, more. Okay, sure. Okay. So the next film that we're going to focus on is History of Violence. Yeah, History of Violence. Um, this is a fantastic mm-hmm. movie, by the way. Let's Great just movie. Let's say that, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, you kind of find that you were talking about um, DC being more realistic. Um. History of Violence is based off of um, a comic book that was printed in DC's Vertigo line of comics, which the entire point of Vertigo when it was introduced in the 80s was DC trying to be more, well, more mature, darker, and a lot of, and it kind of um, became its own thing. It's, it originally started as like a place for people to write, you know, like dark Batman stories. Yeah. And it eventually became kind of... Um, a place for creator own creators to um, write their own stories. A lot of them kind of darker, like Preacher we mentioned earlier. Yeah, is based yeah. off of a Vertigo comic book series. And I, I feel like that's a little bit of a misconception people have when it comes to comics, because I, I mm-hmm. guarantee there's a lot of people that are just now getting into comics because of the explosion of films. Mm-hmm. Um, comics are not just for kids. Probably most no, comics yeah. are actually very adult, mm-hmm. very mature. Uh, medium, yeah, especially, especially um, a lot of modern comics are kind of coasting off of even superhero comics are kind of coasting off of um, the assumption that the audience is going to be um, not not middle aged but y- young adults, yeah, people who grew up in their in their own way um, on the comics, right? And um, 
Okay, so back to history of violence, based off of a um, book by John Wagner. Um, nice callback. John Wagner was actually the man who wrote the original Judge Dredd comic. Oh. Um, yeah, so history of violence. Um, John Wagner, nineteen ninety six, ninety seven. Sorry. Um, well, it's it's kind of um, it's a very good example of um, something. A comic book that's just um, in content, very in content in the subject matter, different from what people assume. Like a comic book is going to be about. Um, it's a very I guess, standard crime story. As yeah, I, I really to, don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's what. There's <clears throat> that's an important thing that we should notice. We're we're going to be talking around. Um, yeah, with history yeah. of violence because some, some of these other films we spoiled mm-hmm. and it's like eh, whatever. But history of violence, you mm-hmm. really don't want to spoil. It's, 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 you want to go in fresh watching it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's history of violence. Both actually the the film more so than the comic, but both the film and the comic are is a deceptively simple crime story. Mm-hmm. Like it sets up this um, standard crime thriller about um, a man kind of living. Um, the idealistic nuclear family, like small town, right. country country boy life. in In the comics, it's actually based in Michigan, which which is fun because like they name drop Jackson at one point. Shouts out to Jackson, hometown. What what? Um, in the film, I think it takes place in, like Indiana, but yeah, Midwest, idealistic, Midwest um, blue collar, very mm-hmm. quaint family, and. The plot starts off with the family being um, set upon by this uh, duo of um, robbers. Mm-hmm. In in the film, they're more like career criminals. In in the comic, they're just kind of thugs that like find find their way in like the heroes' lives. But yeah, we're still not in spoiler territory territory yet. This yeah. is the, still the setup. The both stories, the film and the comics, and the film is very similar to the comic, more so than you'll find with a lot of these adaptations. The, the thing that I liked, because when I first watched the film, I had no idea it was based off a comic or anything mm-hmm. like that. And one of the first things I thought as I was watching it was it had these really kind of over-the-top moments mm-hmm. where I was just like, this kind of feels like something that could have been like a comic book or like a yeah. graphic novel or something. Mm-hmm. And I think that tone of really intense drama really intense violence, mm-hmm. almost like Tarantino-esque yeah. sometimes in tone violence-wise. Yeah. But this kind of over-the-top, over you know, not taking itself too seriously mm-hmm. attitude is something that a lot of, uh, you know, directors, filmmakers trying to adapt these comic books should take note of. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect tone for that kind of subject. Which is funny because they, they even kind of like tone down the violence from the comic to the movie. I can imagine. We can, you can probably get away with a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, so back to the story. It's about um, yeah, these two robbers find their way. Um, they they kind of just stumble on, stumble into the life of this uh, very mild mannered um, store owner, um, played in the movie by Viggo Mortensen. Shuts out Aragorn. Yeah. Um, uh, and. Up until that point, both in the comic and the movie, they they had set up that you know Viggo Mortensen's character, the main character, is this very 
very nice guy, very gentle fatherly figure. And so there's kind of like this looming threat of these um, two criminals coming to town. And when the two when the two groups finally meet, it's a very um, it subverts what you think is going to happen yeah. with, with, you know, hardened criminals meeting this mild mannered guy. And um, I don't know if you, we really want to spoil this. No, nah, this... no, nah, no, 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 no spoils. Well, okay, let's, spoil. let's, let's just say when they meet, there's a history of violence that ensues yeah. and then dot, dot, dot. That's yeah, I guess that's the way we're going <laughs> to say it. So taking all of these films um, together, I think we can both identify that it's definitely possible mm-hmm. and it's definitely um, engaging for a lot of audiences to, you know, engage with these non-superhero comics. So I think that we can both, I, you know, um, agree that the future of the comic series mm-hmm. isn't going to die after the superhero thing. No. Because like, you, you always hear people say like, oh, well, eventually they're going to run out of superheroes and then boom, mm-hmm. they're done. Like mm-hmm. there's thousands and thousands and thousands of other mm-hmm. comic series. And whether or not you're sick of things being, you know, uh, uh, remade or, you know, um, adapted or whatever mm-hmm. everything's kind of an adaptation of one thing or another yeah you know no whole no stories singular singularly original you know mm-hmm. but of, of all the films listed what film do you think does this the best or, or i i think you know uh handles the idea of adaptation from a comic the best um the first one we mentioned american splendor i think is probably the purest adaptation of a comic and in the sense that it's the probably the, the film that tries the hardest and succeeds um the the best at adapting the comic style um to to the screen right because i feel like that that film specifically is made from a place of love for mm-hmm. the source material and kind of reverence for harvey picar yeah mm-hmm. but um yeah so that was the list of films that we were going to talk about. Uh, thanks a lot for talking, Mitch, oh, bringing thanks. all your expertise. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you. I think the future of the comic book movie has a positive future ahead of it. Now seems to be a time when audiences need fresh, new, engaging stories presented to them. And whether or not you love or hate the cinematic landscape that the Marvel and DC universes have given us so far, you can't deny that a little bit of diversity can go a long way. This has been Moving Pictures. I'm your host, Brent Gunn. Thank you for listening.